Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Gabby Roslin here. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. There are lots of giggles and lots of honesty in this chat. It's the brilliant Strictly finalist and Made in Chelsea star, Jamie Lang. I think you will learn a lot about Jamie that you possibly didn't know before. We talk about his childhood, his continued naughtiness, fame and being famous, his love of Strictly, his mental health and reality television shows. Also, his brilliant sweet company called Candy Kittens and his podcasts called Private Parts and Six Degrees from Jamie and Spencer. Plus, we hear from his gorgeous partner, Sophie Habs, as he calls her, one of the stars of Made in Chelsea too. And I believe this may be a podcast first, a marriage proposal on this podcast Please can I ask you a favour? Would you mind, please, following and subscribing by pressing the follow or subscribe button on the show? Now, I have to tell you, this really honestly does not cost any money. It's completely free. And then if you wouldn't mind, rate and review on Apple Podcasts, which is the purple app on your iPhone or iPad. You simply scroll down to the bottom of all of the episodes and you'll see the stars where you can tap to rate and press write a review. It would mean the world to us. Thank you so much. Jamie, lovely, lovely Lang, how are you? Ah, oh, do you know what? I am. I've got to the point now where things are getting a little bit repetitive. So I'm a little bit like, ah, I could do with a mix up right now. But apart from that, I'm okay. I'm going to mix it up for you then. Let's mix it up. Let's mix it up. Let's mix it up. If you can mix it up in any way, I would love that. Okay, ready for it. Here we go. First mix up. Did you know that I can buy you for £6.90 full size you? Am I clothed? Am I not clothed? What do I look like? I'm pleased to say you look just like you, <laughs> but you're made of cardboard. Really? For six pounds? Did you not know this? No. No, 16 pounds 90. 16? That's a rip-off. You can buy... 16 pounds 90. You can get pretty... It's a life-size. You know, it's not full-size life-size, but it's not a little one that you have next to your bed. I have this urge to order it because I just... This is completely true. As you know, I completely adore you. But when you were in Strictly... Uh, the family cheered every single time. Oh. We voted and we did all of that. And uh, Karen, who I've known for a very long time, I kept sending her messages. And and we were dancing around <laughs> to all of your dances. So if I had a cardboard cutout of you, 
I could dance with you. You could you could dance with me. I don't know how responsive I would be as a cardboard cut. That's my only fear. But I think that I would give you company. I would really, I, I would cheer you on. And also I would channel all of my energy into my cardboard cutout. And hopefully that would that'd be quite weird, wouldn't it, if I just channeled all my energy? It would. But also what's even weirder is alongside the cardboard, I've got it all sorted, you see. Alongside, actually, you and Spencer have got to do this, so he's got to get the cardboard cut out of you. But you can also get the cardboard mask, face mask of yourself, you know, the full mask, for £3.89. So under £20, I could be you and I could have a cut out Do you know what? You. Do you know what? If you paid me 20 quid, I'd probably come round to your house anyway. So I think... <laughs> So actually, I think... Yeah, but you'd have to wear a mask and you'd have to be on the doorstep. That is true. That is true. That is true. But if you honestly, if you paid me £20, I'd I'd run round. I'd run round, I'd wear a mask, I'd say, hey. Do you think that once you have a cardboard cutout of yourself, do you think that's when you've made it? Yeah. Do you think that's the time where you can kind of go, do you know what, I've actually made this? Now, in your mum's day, uh, it was probably, they had to go on Morecambe and Wise. Then it was go on Spitting (laughs) Image. And and nowadays it's going Anton Deck or get a cardboard cutout. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. I think it's that. What was it when I was? What, what was it when I was growing up? What was I, I? I was into bobbleheads. I tell you what, if you were on the, if you were on a pog, if you remember pogs, if you were yes. on a pog, that would have made it for me. I used to love pogs more than anything. Well, let's um, make that happen. Yeah, if you can get me, honestly, if you can get me on a, I once I went over to my friend. I can still remember his name. His name was David Sykes. I went over to David Sykes's house and he had loads of pogs. And for anyone who doesn't know what pogs are, I can't even explain them to you anyway. So just imagine them. <laughs> I don't know what they are. They're sort of like a cardboard round thing. They're round, um, completely round. Completely round. Some are cardboard, some are plastic, and you collect them. And I went round to David Sykes's house and I saw he had a metal one. And I was like, no way. I must have been five years old. And so I took it. I stole it and put it in my pocket. And as I was walking out of his house saying goodbye, it fell out my pocket and everyone knew I'd tried to steal a pog. Oh, Jamie. Terrible. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen him since? I haven't. No, I haven't. We weren't friends after that. I don't think. I, I don't think that the little boy who stole things was not allowed over to the house anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and look where you've got to now, fighting crime. You see, if you'd been famous and fighting crime then, this is where I'm linking it into all the things you've done. Oh my I God, that impressed. transition was unbelievable. Yes, thank you. I thank you. I'm even proud of that. Um, so if you were famous and fighting crime, what would you do to that five-year-old little Jamie who'd stolen oh. that poor kid's pog? I think, listen, I think as kids, right, what we have to do is we have to, you have to learn things for yourself. So I, as a kid, I used to steal loads of different things. I don't really know why. What do you mean? What did you steal? I would think I was like a magpie. Honestly, I think I was like a magpie. I just like shiny things. So I used to steal, what did I steal when I was a kid? I stole uh, keys to the house. <laughs> don't know why I did that. Whose keys? What do you mean for your house or other people's? <laughs> it would have to be quite a good robbery if I stole them to other people's houses and then robbed them. But I didn't do that. It wasn't like, it wasn't like a... <laughs> tactical thing it was not forethought out at all i used to steal my mum's keys for some reason i used to steal money i used to steal fizzy drinks because i wasn't allowed them and then there's one time there was this one time because i used to steal everything my grandma used to live up the road from us and her peanut bowl a peanut bowl right went missing it was a round it was a wooden bowl it went missing and of course i was the one who had to have stolen the bowl so for a whole weekend i was made to look in her house to tell her where I had stolen. I was like, well, I haven't stolen this effing peanut bowl. So I don't know where it was. And then they found the peanut bowl and everyone was very upset. What did Granny say? 
<laughs> Granny said nothing. Granny said nothing. She said, well, if he still thinks, then uh, then people are going to think it's always you. But I kind of feel like this. If I was a police officer, I feel like a young kids have to find out mistakes for themselves. And I think a lot of the time parents tell them not to do things. I think there's like boundaries, right, you should have. But kids just sort of find out what's good and bad on their own. Is that really bad parenting? Yeah, Jamie, here's the thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it's okay. Good. When we do these podcasts, the, the press do pick up on them. I can now see the headline. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Jamie Lang admits <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah, a, yeah. he's a thief. Listen, if you're young kids, just do all the bad things. You should steal. You should. No! <laughs> <laughs> what would your mother say? I mean, apart from the fact that, I mean, I've seen you with your mother discussing sexual positions. I mean, please. Yeah, true. Mm-hmm, that your mm-hmm. mother knows that about you. I just am mortified. If I, I just, I wouldn't want to know that in my kids. They're only teenagers. I don't want to know it. Please. I don't think she wants to either. I don't think she would. It's weird. I think, so my mum, I went to boarding school, right, at the age of eight years old. Um, and so. Well, are you surprised? You were stealing everything. They needed to get you out. <laughs> I went to prison at the age of eight years old. <laughs> <laughs> They said it was boarding school, but it was actually juvenile hall. Um, but I went to boarding school at the age of eight. It was the done thing in our family. My dad went to boarding school at a young age, all that kind of stuff. So it was just that old English kind of tradition, I suppose. And going to a private school is a tradition, imagine. Um, <laughs> but I was sent there. And so my mum kind of missed out on my upbringing, in a sense. And so she always wanted to know everything about me. So she always asked me personal questions. Who are you kissing? Who's your girlfriend? What's and so I would always deny, deny, deny. But when I, and I wouldn't tell her anything. But then when I got to an older age, and I found it funny to ask her questions or get her to ask me questions about sex and things like that, because when you're younger, it's okay because it's quite sweet and you're asking what girls you're kissing or what boys you're kissing or what's this and that. When you're older, it's a bit awkward. It's like it's like bathing me at this age. It'd be quite weird. And so I find, <laughs> I find it funny to put my mum in an awkward situation where she has to find out different things about it because I like to see her reaction. I think it's hilarious. What does she make of all of you? Not, not your sexual positions. We'll leave that. But what does she make of, <laughs> of your fame? Because at Made in Chelsea, you started in it nearly 10 years ago. And in those 10 yeah. years, you've done so much, but, but you have become famous. I mean, as simple as that, there's so many things that we'll talk about. But fame, how does your mum cope with that and your family cope with your fame? Well, I don't, listen, I, I don't know if it's, maybe it is. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what fame is really now, but I suppose some people recognise me and maybe that's some sort of, fame I don't know but I think um how does my mum react to it my mum is one of these people she's an amazing woman but she's also she's she's quite kind of cutting in lots of ways so she will never really acknowledge the fact that I've done this or done that the proudest thing that I've actually done is when she watched me doing Strictly that was the proudest she's ever been because she loves Strictly more than anything she's quite black and white in that kind of way but you know when I first started doing Chelsea they all said it was a terrible idea they all they let me do it but it was you know it was about us running around drinking too much and trying to sleep with different people and being posh it wasn't really the best look at the beginning I suppose but I think that, again, what was quite good about her is that I made, and we all make a lot of mistakes and a lot of positive you know, mistakes, but I think she kind of just let me get on with it and hoped that I would come round to being a nice boy or a nice man or a nice whatever it is. But you are. You are. Well, I think so, yeah. No, you are. You're a really, you're a good <laughs> bloke. You are. You're a good egg. I have to just say that I can hear 
Habs. I can hear Sophie in the background. Yes, yes she's eating and <laughs> sniffing a lot. Bless her. Hello, she can just come say, and say hello. hello say hello, Sophie. Say hello. Hi, guys. <laughs> there she is. Hello, lovely. So, what's she eating? Oh my god, she's, I'm so sorry. I'm eating lunch. She says she's eating lunch, and we have to. We're sharing the same room because obviously we're in lockdown. So, if you hear anyone eating in the background, it's Sophie in the background. But she's just. I'm giving her all these looks, but she's fine. But she, we just. Do you know what? It's funny with lockdown, right? Is that. So we we spent now how we spent a year together, Sophie and I, in this sort of situation, like a lot of different people. And actually, what it's done for us is it's made us closer. I mean, we've nearly killed each other a few times, but apart from that, we've done all right, I think. And and you were teased uh, all the time on Strictly because there was something that you said you'd do if you reached the final. Yeah, I said I would marry her. I said I would ask her to marry me. And when she found that out, she honestly, I've never seen someone with so much anger saying, if you do that on television, I will never speak to you again. Sophie's weirdly, um, as much as she does a TV show, she does many shows, she's actually quite a private person, which is a complete contradiction, but she kind of likes, she doesn't really like talking about her emotions. She kind of holds those in, you know, she doesn't really like that sort of public affection in terms of doing all these different things. So her idea of a worst day out would be me asking her to marry her. Well, you just have to do it privately and then and get married privately and tell us all when it's happened. Although that won't happen. It will be in Hello magazine shortly. It will, I, do you know what? I, I don't think it would. I don't know. Would it be in Hello? I don't think I would do that. I think if I was ever going to ask Sophie to marry me. What do you mean if? Well, she may say no. Well, that's not me asking. I think, you know, she might say no. Sophie's more likely to say no to marrying me than me actually, uh, me saying, because I'd quite happily say, do you want to marry me? But she'd probably say no at the moment. Um, probably because I just annoy her a lot. Um, but I think that if... I'd love to see her face right now with her listening to this. Yeah, yeah she's actually not. She's actually ignoring and just looking at her phone. She's not <laughs> even reacting. I'll ask her, Sophie, do you want to get married? She just laughed. She just laughed and just looked at me. <laughs> why, so just quickly, why wouldn't you want to get married to me now? Don't laugh. Just say. Would, do you want to get married? Do you want to get married? Do you want to get married? No, get mar- no see? Know. What is that? She doesn't want to get married. Not yet. It's a not yet, Jamie. It's a not Yeah, yet. and also we have our whole lives. But I think at some point, the coolest thing in the world, right, this is what I've always thought. So I, I for a lot of my life... Um, struggle with the idea of monogamy, right? Because I was like, well, do you really want to be with one person forever and all these different things? And, you know, my parents were divorced and so I was a bit, you know, mm, about these sort of situations. But then to be really cheesy and she's covering her ears, when you meet someone that you actually get on with and you actually really like, kind of think it's pretty epic to spend your life with them. So um, it's just so cool. And you get to do wicked things together. You get to go on adventures together and you get to, you know, learn things together and you get to have babies together. Awesome. Oh, I would love to see her face at that bit as well, the baby word. Um, but you two, it's been so public, though. You're, I love the way you say it's very, she's very private and doesn't, you know. I know. You're, it's all know. very public because Made in Chelsea, and I know it's 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 set up, but, but the setups are done without you knowing it and, yes. and you go with the flow. Yeah. But, but it's very public. It is very public. But I think what happens is with these TV shows that a lot of people want to go to heaven without without experiencing a bit of hell. Like people want the only good, right? That's what they think. So they people think joining reality shows or Made in Chelsea or whatever it is, that it's just going to be super fun and easy and relaxed. And you're just going to have a great time and you're you know probably going to get followers and this is going to happen. And that's what people think is going to happen. But actually, what you don't think about is how you have to 
show your full life and how you have to show the highs and the lows and how sometimes you're not portrayed in a way that you like the look of the way you're portrayed and all these different things. And so you you join a show because um, lots of different reasons why people join these shows. But I think... Why did you join then? I joined because I thought, totally honestly, I thought I was 21 years old. I came out of Leeds University studying theatre and performance and I had a, a tutu and I thought, Jesus, who's gonna, whose car am I going to watch? And I thought, this is not going to be good. Um, I'd been asked to do it. I kind of said no because I thought it was a bad idea. I always wanted to go into television, always did, wanted to be a presenter since I was a kid. I've always wanted to do it. And I spoke to my great friends, my one of my best friends at university's mum, who's very high up in television. Um, and she said, don't do it. And I thought, well, why not? She said, because it'll be the death of you. And I thought, well, I just shouldn't follow logic. And actually, I think it will be quite fun to be famous or to have this for a bit. And I have no idea where it's going to lead me. And I had a sweet business that I want to start. I thought it was a good marketing idea. So I thought, do you know what? I'm going to do it. It's that or looking for a job in the city where my parents want me to do. And I don't want to do that. I went for this internship, right? <laughs> I went for an internship at this insurance company when I was 19, 20 years old. And I got up in the morning. I was meant to do it for two months over the summer. I got up in the, oh no, it was six weeks. I got up in the, in the morning at 6 a.m. I put on my suit. I got on the tube, I got to the office, I I got there, I met the guy who was looking after me, he was wearing a completely beige suit and a beige tie and everything beige, and he just really didn't like it. He actually said to me, he said to me, trust me, you don't want to be doing this. And I thought, what? why is he telling me that? I lasted two days and I quit. And every single day in the week, I had to pretend I was getting up and going to work for my, so my mum wouldn't know, and I would go around the corner to my friend's house. <gasps> yeah, yeah, every single day. And it made me realise then, I thought, I... I was very lucky because I realized from a young age I had to do something that I loved. Yeah, good for you. And and if I didn't, it would be the death of me. And it, and and I think it's I think it was it's very easy coming from a position that I was because my dad gave me an allowance and I had a roof over my head and different things like that. So I had the ability to find out what I didn't want to do, where a lot of people don't have that ability, right? They have to go and work in Sainsbury's or Co-op or whatever it is, or go and work in the family business or anything like that. And so they don't have that choice. So I thought it'd be a lot of fun to go and join a TV show because I didn't know where it would lead me. And I thought being famous would be fun. And I had this sweet business idea. But you're very, you know, what I love about you is you're very honest and you know that you come from a privileged background. You've never denied it. You don't, you mm. don't, you, you also don't push it. And, and exactly as you say, you, you were very lucky. You had an allowance, you had a roof over your head, over your head, you know, you had family behind you. Um, mm. And you just thought, right, I'm going to do it. And it's very interesting when I look at all the new people who go to Made in Chelsea. As you know, I used to watch it in the beginning, and I, you know, Ollie's. A, I've got very friendly with Ollie, and I know all the others as well. And and I thought in the beginning it was, it just it amused me, and I mean that in a really nice yeah. way. I liked it. You you carried along. You were sitting there smiling and laughing, and all of my friends, all of my girlfriends, we used to talk about it a lot. Now. I feel that, and I don't just mean Made in Chelsea, but a lot of the reality shows, you feel that some people, and also I don't mean Sophie, I've interviewed Sophie, she's a sweetie. You can say so she won't hear you, don't worry. <laughs> She'll hear when she listens. But a lot of the people that join some of the shows, it's about their product, it's about their fame. Totally. As you say, it's about getting more um, Instagram likes and getting more followers yeah. because then they can push this, that and the other. And it feels yeah. different than it did 10 years ago. Yeah, that's totally it. So so 10 years ago when I was doing the show, it was on. It was about a group of mates. And we actually were friends, right? So we were, we all grew up together. We all knew each other. We were all friends, all these different things. And, and it wasn't a job. It was a laugh. It was just fun. 
we thought, what, we get to be on TV and we get to film with all of us and it's going to be fun and all these different things. And we get to pay to do it. That's epic. We're like, this is unbelievable. Honestly, we had no idea. There was no, there was no social media really out there. There was Twitter had just started. So that was about it. Um, but there was nothing at all. So there was no feedback, right? So you didn't have any feedback from anyone. I mean, you get feedback from critics, right? That's pretty much about it. And the odd person who'd shout at you in the yeah. street saying, wanker, or whatever it was. <laughs> <laughs> that was <laughs> that was really the only feedback that you got. And it was just a bunch of mates. The problem now, it's not a problem, but how it's changed is that it's now these TV shows, it's become a career path. Yeah. So people think that they can make a career out of it. They go, oh my God, this and that. And I was actually talking about this the other day with someone. I think there's a danger with that, right? Because it's like a lot of people who go and do Love Island or they you go and do The Jungle, let's say, or you go and do this and you go and do that. Uh, or Strictly, for example, I feel like if you do these shows, there has to be kind of an idea or a game plan behind it. Not in terms of a game plan in, in you know, how you're going to portray yourself, but in terms of what you want to do. Because once you become famous, let's say you do Love Island or you do Made in Chelsea and you get some sort of fame, you're then just famous. Yeah. And that's epic because people will recognize you and they may take a photo with you and you get more photos and... Yeah, possibly you can work brands, maybe they want to work with you, stuff like that. But in terms of what you're doing, it doesn't really change much. But I think what people think is that it's going to change everything for you. They think that your world's going to blow up and you're going to get this and that. And actually, nothing really changes. And so you have to have an understanding of what you want to do if you go and do these shows, if you want to be a presenter, if you want to go and help the planet, whatever it is, rather than just wanting fame. And I think that's the problem that people think fame is a job, but it's not a job. Does that make any sense? Absolutely. And I'm delighted you said that because I feel I feel very strongly. I, you know, I, it's unfair to pick on Love Island. And I've met, you know, some of the kids on Love Island are just the loveliest people. Yeah, they totally. They really, really are. And they want to do good. But there is uh, there is this mentality about fame and this clawing anxiety for, I want to be famous, I want to be famous. Mm-hmm. And you've also, and I, it doesn't help mental health issues. And you've been very open about mental health issues and you yeah, spoke yeah, yeah. very openly on your Instagram about it. And I salute you for that. And you've spoken on my radio show about it. And it doesn't fix what's going on inside your, your head or inside your body. It doesn't, fame no. doesn't fix things. No, fame actually, unfortunately, uh, in lots of ways, feeds it um, in a negative way, right? Because you've got to kind of look at yourself. And, you know, this is, I'm chucking myself into this barrel, right? There has to be, you know, okay, if you, if you want to become just famous, right? Or you want to get notoriety, there has to be something, you know, you want validation in some sort of way. You want to, because you don't know the people, right? Like that. If you went to my brother, and asked him if he wanted to be on a TV show, he'd say, absolutely not. And you say, well, why wouldn't you? And he'd say, well, I don't want anyone to know who I am. You don't want any, I don't want people to know who I am and things like that. And um, so for him, it's totally different. For me, I was like, well, it'd be fun for people to know who I am and this and that. And, oh, my God, it'd be great. And But, but you don't know these people, so you're getting validation from people from complete strangers. And the problem with... Uh, social media and and all of this towards mental health is that, that i said this actually so true the other day on, on instagram is that i honestly believe right in life we're meant to have a village mentality we're meant to know 150 200 people when you get married right you you sort of have about you know if you're lucky you have 100 to 200 guests i mean and that's huge wedding right but that's sort of 
everyone that you know, that's cousins, friends who are family members, you may have more, but that's what you have. And out of all those people, you have this sort of unique selling point, your USP, right? Something that makes you yourself. You can be the best at scuba diving. You could be the best at doing a podcast. You could be the best accountant, the best person at going to the gym. Something that makes you, you out of your group of friends. And you know, you've got the funniest person or something that makes you. The problem with social media now is that you wake up every single morning, you look at it, and you see that people are doing better than you in your industry, whatever that is, whether you're a personal trainer, you're a broker, or you're a car driver. Everyone's always doing better than you. So you feel inadequate because you feel like you lose your sense of self, and that just goes to your, your mental health. And the problem with these shows that people go on, and the reason why mental health is so great in them, and, and there's a lot of blame that goes to the actual television shows, right? The Love Islands and the main shows, the reality shows. And look, people can sort of say that it's these shows that... Um, that sort of drive mental health. But actually, when people get fame, famous, or have some sort of, it becomes addictive in some sort of ways. You, you, the notoriety, the, the brand deals, all that kind of stuff. But the problem is, it's very hard to maintain because fame is like, fame is a sort of novelty thing. And especially overnight fame. Um, so people then want to still go after that. And it becomes this sort of drug that you continuously want. And when that fades away, because ultimately, at some point in your life, unless you're the Rolling Stones, it does disappear. Um, you, if you keep trying to chase it, it's only going to lead to disaster, I think. And I think that's what drives a lot of men. It's great that you talk like this. It really is, because there'll be a lot of kids that watch you and think, Look, so he got into Made in Chelsea, so maybe I'll do it. But actually, you've gone you've gone way beyond that. You've got two lots of podcasts. You've got, I mean, Candy Kittens. Can I just say the funniest thing is that um, when my youngest realised, when I said, so, I can't even remember how it came up. We were watching Strictly. And she said, oh, you know, Jamie. I said, yeah, I've interviewed him a couple of times. She went, oh, yeah. I said, you know, Candy Kittens, your watermelon sours that you love, that, yes, are gluten-free and palm oil-free. And she says, Yes. I said, that's Jamie. She went, no, don't be so stupid, mum. And she's 14. So she hasn't watched Made in Chelsea. And I said, <laughs> no, that is. And she said, what? Okay. So she loved it before. Now, when I said this morning that I was interviewing you for the podcast, she just went, candy kittens. <laughs> that, and it was it. And actually, I love that, that she, it wasn't about your fame. It wasn't about Strictly. It was that you've done something and you've gone out there and you, you yeah. created a product that people know and love. How great is that? It's so great. And Gary, listen, I'm going to send your whole family a whole bunch of them oh, no. so you'll get loads. <laughs> 100%. I'll get your address. I'm like, no, but I want to. Listen, without a doubt, I'm going to send you. we got loads. Don't worry about it. Um, but do you know what? So, I, I, and I'm all, I'm such an advocate. Okay, especially now, right? So if you, if you ask the younger generation, right? And I said, because now I'm 32, I said the younger generation. Um, lots of people, you know, when we hire anyone at Candy Kittens and we say, so, okay, we, you know, you ask us, what's your five-year plan? Or, you know, I, I actually hate that question. What's your five-year plan? But um, you sort of ask what you want to do. Most people now say that they want to become an entrepreneur. Oh, I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to be, and it's a very sexy term, right, to be an entrepreneur. Yeah, you, yeah. Ten years ago, no one was an entrepreneur unless you were Bill Gates, right? And he, because everyone has phones and things like that and access to other people being successful, everyone thinks they can be an entrepreneur and everyone can. And I'm a huge advocate in the younger generation actually going out there and following their dreams and doing what they want to do. Oh, I completely agree with you. Completely agree with you. Absolutely, right? And and it's scary and all these different things. And actually, also there's a part of me which, you know, what you know, I understand that people like security and this kind of stuff, but um, I always believe, you know, why would you want to make another person a success 
why wouldn't you do it for yourself? Why would you want to work for someone else? That's my view of it. And that's always why I've wanted to do something myself. But lots of people have different views, right? But I think that also what I want people to realize, and this is so important, is that Candy Kittens, and from what I understand, I it was not planned in the way that it happened, right? I always believe, and I think young kids realize is that naivety is your biggest weapon. And a lot of people don't realize this. You know, so... I think that uh, a lot of people think that they need to start a business because they need to know everything about it and they need to know what you're doing and you need to follow down this and do that. But actually, I go completely against it. When we started Candy Kittens, myself and my business partner, we were 21 and 22 years old. We had no idea how to make sweets. We knew that we wanted to make sweets and that was it. And you need to have a destination of where you're heading, right? Whatever that may be. So we knew we wanted to make sweets. But we made them gluten-free because we thought, well, that would be fun. We made them um, without palm oil because we're like, well, that would be great. Yeah, we made them more expensive because, truthfully, we couldn't afford the margins at the time. But then that made a brand new category of sweet called gourmet cum, gummy candy. We created the category. All of that was naivety. We just didn't follow the route. And I think a lot of the time what the younger generation think is that they need to follow logic. They need to follow what everyone else has done in order to achieve what they've achieved. But actually, I would say totally opposite. If you follow logic, you get back in the same place as everybody else, a place where you shouldn't be. So if you're flying a plane or driving a car or something like that, follow logic because it gets you back in the safe place where you want to be. But if you're starting a brand or you're doing something that you want to do, don't follow logic because that gets you back in the same place as everybody else. Go against the grain. Do something completely unexpected. Follow your gut because no one else has done it your way, so your way is going to be different. And that's what we did with Candy Kittens. That's how we made it successful is because we said, well, we want to do it that way. And everyone told us not to do it that way, but we think that's right. And I really believe more people should follow that. That's a great idea, actually. Uh, but, but also, you had the support there. So you had, you had the background there uh, uh, and you had people supporting you. And you say you had a business partner. There were a lot of people who, who want to start up businesses. We didn't have the support, if I'm totally honest. No, I, swear, I, don't, mean, I don't mean money support. I'm talking about you had people behind you going, yeah, go on then, do it, do it. Or did you not have that? I no, know. we didn't have any of that. <gasps> oh, my word. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We didn't have any of that. I had an idea to set up a sweet company, and at the beginning, it wanted to be a sweet shop. It was a it was a mixture between Hugh Hefner and Willy Wonka. That was my idea. <laughs> oh I, my god! Yeah, 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 yeah. That was my. I wanted to make a sexy sweet shop. I wanted to make the Abercrombie and Fitch version of the sweets world. And if people don't remember what Abercrombie and Fitch was, it's where really good looking people used to stand on the door, topless, and sexy people used to sell clothes. So I thought it'd be sweets and sex. That's the two things combined. I said this to my family, to my mum, to my dad, and because I was this ADD, ADHD, reckless child who was nearly suspended lows and all these different things, they thought, well, it's just going to be nonsense. It's never going to happen. So they didn't actually believe it was going to happen or that it was ever going to work. So no one paid attention to me. Wow. I met my business partner, this Welsh guy called Ed Williams, who's um, just been my business partner for like nine years now, an amazing guy. Um, and he was the one who kind of said, right, yeah, you know, this is going to be a great idea. Let's not make it a sweet shop. Let's make it packers of sweets and let's build it that way. And we did it completely by ourselves. And we just had to figure it out as we went along. That's fantastic. It, it was amazing. We, we went to like Cologne in Germany to, to a sweet convention to go meet all the different people who made sweets. We went out to this, this sweet manufacturer who actually now makes our sweets for us, a German company called Catchers. Um, this was nine years ago. We said, hey, guys, do you mind making our sweets for us? It's like going to Coca-Cola as two 21-year-olds and saying, can you make us a fizzy drink? They went, yeah, okay, but if you do 200 tonnes worth in the year, which is like six million quid, you know, we had no idea what we were doing. 
but it was an adventure. And I think the great thing about when you start a business, the exciting thing is that you can pivot, you can turn, you do things different, and you basically just go on this road of discovery by yourself. It's very interesting because you use the word misconceptions, and there are lots of misconceptions about you. Yeah. The, the McVitie's story. <laughs> yeah. It, you know, that you're the yeah, McVitie heir and you're walking around with every I know. biscuit. I, I, it's not it's not quite like that, is it? I mean, it's funny how that's completely no. you're now the headline sort of when I was doing because I've met you so I but I did some research on you, the latest stuff I was doing. And it still says McVitie's air, McVitie's air, Jamie. I think it's because it's something to write about. I'm I'm sure McVitie's will love that. So truth is my great great grandfather uh built McVitie's up. He invented the digestive, he, they made it into a great thing. We have a huge family. We sold it in the eighties. Um, I think it was the eighties or early nineties. Uh, granddad made a lot of money. Dad inherited a lot. Us kids, there's so many kids and cousins, things like that. You know, we we went to great schools. We went on lovely holidays. We lived in nice houses, all that kind of stuff. But um, and we got given given allowances. But in terms of having all these millions in our pockets, it's total nonsense. It, it's total nonsense. But it's funny how people want to do that to you. They want to to yeah, to paint course. you like that. And actually, you work extremely hard. And and that that's been proved when the the acting stuff that you've done. I, mean, I love that you were in the Abfab movie and you were in Hollyoaks. <laughs> Abfab. I mean, please, it's just so sweet. I don't know why I, I find know. that so sweet. But but strictly was a thing that because it caused such a furore last year that you had you couldn't do it and then Kelvin went yeah, on yeah. to win and that you were in it this year so it's I'm not telling a story that people don't know but you bloomed in that Jamie oh that's so kind thank you you loved it didn't you oh it, do you know what it was the one of the best experiences I've ever done and I think everyone says that it's a, oh it's the best but actually it really I loved it um, and I loved Why? it for be- I loved it for lots of reasons. I loved it because I played a lot of sport at school um, and being part of a team. I love being part of a team. Uh, it's like it's the it's it's where I feel most at home um, when I'm part of a team, and I just love that camaraderie with everyone. And I very much felt a part of a team doing it. Um, so I really love that. I think challenging yourself is pretty epic. Uh, I think the more people you you can challenge yourselves and do that kind of stuff, I think that's really good. And every single week, trust me, going in on a Monday morning and having to learn a salsa, you're literally like, this is just death. This is the worst thing I could ever watch. And all you have in the back of your head is you're going, well, I mean, this is going to be the most embarrassing dance I've ever been on Strictly. No, I'm never going to get it. I'm never. And then by Wednesday, you start to go, oh, wait, hang on a second. I kind of see where Thursday, okay, Friday, you're sort of doing it properly. And then Saturday's the actual show. So you're challenging yourself. So you have that sense of achievement every single week. And do you know what? The other side of it is that I love entertaining. And the fact that we got to go out on Saturday night and entertain everyone in the UK, that was just epic. Yeah. That's that was so cool. So all of those things combined, it was just the greatest thing I've done. But it is tough. Oh, mentally, physically, the mental toughness is the hardest thing. Really, that's the hardest part of it. You had wonderful Karen, who I adore. I absolutely adore her. She's such a good soul. She actually taught me um, a lot because I'm one of these people, I go, be my friend, be my friend. You know, I want everyone to be my friend where Karen is the total opposite, where she, she, she has to let you in and she has to trust you. And once she trusts you in and sort of knows who you are and understands you, she's then your friend for life. Um, and I think that's a, it, it was a really, it was a really sort of good learning curve for me to realize that you don't have to please everybody. Um, but in fact, you should 
You should earn people's. That's how you earn people's respect, I think. But you're a people pleaser. That's absolutely what you're about. Total people pleaser, and and that comes with its its benefits, but also its curses, right? Because it means you sort of make a lot of friends, but it also means you make a lot of plans and then have to bail on them because you've said to four hundred people that you、uh, that you can do dinner that night or go to their party, and you can't. And I've done that since I was a kid. And and Karen helped you not do that. But it's it's tough though, right? Because it's also it's a it's a competitive show, and you know I I knocked out、uh, JJ who who had gone to war and had been blown up by a mine, and I had knocked out Ranveer who was you know. Had a really tough life、yeah. and and had found confidence and all these different things. So、uh, people thought I was this sort of white posh supremacist, like charging through, just being like see you later. But I was like, God, it's not the way. I had no. It's not fixed in any way. No one knows what's happening.、Um, and it really is just you know on your on your ability to dance on that night. What you got from that, and、um, as a viewer, what you got from that was you having a blast. And I think that was the most. And wanting to make everybody. Happy and and that's to me that's what you're like and I know people you know I've heard people say you know oh Jamie's like a puppy dog take that as a compliment because actually everybody loves a puppy yeah 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 listen I I I sat with a taxi driver once right and I was having a crap day this was a while ago and you know we all have our ups and downs sometimes、yeah. I was having a crap day and I was I got really deep with him and I said what do you think is the real route to happiness to this this lovely taxi driver and he said accepting who you are and I was like do you know what you're so right it is once you accept who you are you're kind of okay with things and I'm a complete puppy dog I my mental age stopped when I was twenty one you know I I have lots of things but as long as you kind of accept who you are you're kind of okay with it carry on carry on being like that yeah yeah, yeah I think it's alright I mean I'm the same I I'm never gonna grow up Gary can I ask you a question yeah of course you can does that happen you know you 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 have your kids you have your family you know does you ever get to a point where you feel that you know what you're doing or you're feeling responsible or any no. or Does it just never happen? No, I sit on my kids to wake them up and sing musical theatre songs. <laughs> There's no, I, and and my my kids keep saying, "Why do you tell? Why do you admit it?" I go, "Because I don't take myself seriously. I and I'm very happy to take the piss out of myself. I really am. And I think that that that's what keeps me happy, I suppose. But also, hopefully, keeps them happy. And I think you have to take on responsibility. Of course, you do. And responsibilities are huge when you've got family, when you've got kids, and when you've got Um, a life, you know. In life, we all have that. But being happy and spreading happy. I thought as you got older, you you know, I always thought my parents had the answers, right? I thought they they know what they're doing. But then you get to your age, and you suddenly realise no one really knows what they're doing. You guess. No, nobody knows. We're all practicing.、Yeah. We're all practicing all the time. Talking and practicing. Do you? Still not drive. <laughs> yeah, I still don't drive. I, since, oh, come on, Jamie! <laughs> since I was eighteen years old, I have booked my theory test. I failed it twice, but I booked it fifty-seven times. Oh, don't be ridiculous! I, yes, I have. I promise you. No, that's I no.、You. I now do sound like somebody's very strict mother. <laughs> What are you talking about? I know. Fifty-seven times. I know. Terrible. Twenty-three pounds ago, fifty-seven times. It's just terrible. Over the past how many? You know, twelve,、oh, thirteen years, whatever it is. I don't know. It just goes back to the same thing I said at the beginning. If I'm not interested in it, I find it very hard to do it. But if I'm interested in it, I'll do it. And for me, driving, it's not really a necessity at the moment. So does Sophie drive? Yeah, Sophie drives, but she won't. She is the worst driver I have 
honestly, I, I, I kid you not. Okay, we, we, we live in Notting Hill, right? And we had a car and most of Notting Hill is like one way. Like a lot of the stuff down there, like one way, like Portobello is one way. The amount of times we've driven up the wrong way up Portobello. Or, oh and, and every single time I get in a car with her, there's a moment where I go, oh my God, I nearly died. And for Sophie, she always says, I've had that my entire life. She used to drive from uh, home to Newcastle, where she went to university, which is like a four hour drive. I said, how many car crashes did you nearly have on the way? She said, well, about eight each time. Like, <gasps> she is, she's never, she's never touched wood, injured herself or anything like that. Um, she looked at me in a weird way. She no, she never injured her had a bad crash, but she's always on the verge of it. <laughs> oh my word! Don't let her drive. Just walk everywhere. We do. We walk everywhere. We do. But when she ran into the road the other day in a car, it. Well, actually, that might have been me because I saw her running across the road in Notting Hill Did you? about two weeks yeah. ago, and I had to hoot to realise it was her. <laughs> that might have been me. <laughs> there we go. That's completely true story. That's um, so good. Uh, can we just talk about your podcast as well? Because yeah. they're they're just great. I have to say, thank you. I, you know, watching some of them because I see some of them on YouTube, and I love all your YouTube stuff, and um, but and listening to them, it's about oh, it's just you don't take yourself seriously, which I love, and my God, do you take the piss out of Spencer, which makes me laugh. <laughs> my favorite thing you did recently, which both my kids think is the funniest thing and they do it to me my my eldest is at university and she rings me up and says no um can you uh can no i'll call you back uh why did you call yeah yeah yeah, 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 yeah every yeah. time she does it, I, go, I know what you're doing what are you doing she goes, and she laughs and it makes her laugh and then i watched you doing it to yeah. spencer and i it, i don't know oh it's so silly it was so good if for people who don't know what we're talking about explain what you do it actually started because my um I used to have a nanny growing up and she used to say to me, she used to say something to me, like, go get across and she, and I would say, what? And she'd go, you heard. And I'd be like, well, I didn't actually hear. So I don't understand. And so I used to do it to my friends where I'd say something, go, blah, blah, blah. and they'd say, what? And I go, you heard. Like that, it would be this joke that went on. So that developed into this idea, which I actually saw then on social media where people would phone. So you phone up your friend on FaceTime and record it. And as they pick up, you say to them, can you just call me back? Sorry, I'm busy at the moment. And they'll be like, well, what do you mean you just called me? Be like, no, no, you, you called me. Stop, I'm busy. And you would flip it on them and you would play this <laughs> prank on them. And the greatest thing, and, you know, we spend, spend and I have been friends since we were 16 years old and we are sort of, you know, as thick as blood, right? We're, we're just we're very close. So we do our podcast together with BBC Podcasts, uh, Six Degrees, where we basically try and track down our favourite celebrities in Six Calls or Less. But the funniest thing about it is that for me, it was just because I like people, right? And I like meeting people and making friends with uh, different people. Spencer doesn't have any friends. His friends are his wife, his children, and me. That's literally it. So for him, he couldn't care less about tracking anyone down, which I find hilarious because the whole point <laughs> of it is to be nice and friendly to people. But on some interviews, he's so rude without realizing it. He doesn't care. He does not care. Um, so we have that one. Yes, I've been one of the people that's interviewed him. And at the end of it, I said, <laughs> What was the matter when I've seen you at events? Yeah. I just wasn't in the mood. Okay, I'm that's so fine. sorry, guy. Listen, I can only apologise on his behalf, but I can promise you this: it take no offence. He is like that with everybody, <laughs> with everybody. That's what his wife said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With everybody, he's like that. And then I do my podcast with Francis called Private Parts, which we started four years ago or nearly five, five, we've done over 200 ads, and we just interview a different person each week about their deepest and darkest secrets and stories and things like that. 
and we just have a really funny time with it. It's amazing. And, and also, like, you know, I just really like people. I like chatting to people. So it's fun. And you, no, okay, so we always ask on this podcast, what makes you properly laugh? Now, I know that there's a lot, but if you think, the first thing that comes into your head, what makes you really properly laugh? Oh, my God, that's a tricky one. I mean, there's a lot of in-jokes that my girlfriend and I have that makes us really, really laugh, like properly, properly laugh. Um, but what makes me really, really laugh? I, do you know what? Like, uh, my family can make me really laugh, like a lot of the time. Um, but something in particular, God, that is yeah, that's tricky. What makes you laugh? Give me an example of what makes you laugh. People falling over. Oh, my God. I, when I was at Leeds University... I, we would walk down to the city centre and there would be this crossing and it got really icy there, it'd be black ice. And I could you not, for about half an hour, 45 minutes, I would stand at the side with my friend, Cosy, and we'd watch people walking over it with their files and they would wipe out and all of their files would go <laughs> everywhere. And we stood there for about 45 minutes just waiting for everyone to walk across it. It was the funniest thing in the world. Yeah, people falling over is genius. People falling over is genius. Robbie Williams, when he was on this, he and I both completely lost it because both of us, he fell down a manhole and my friend fell down a manhole. There is nothing funnier than watching somebody, as long as they don't hurt themselves, somebody falling down a manhole. A bit of slapstick. Yeah, you're right. Um, so where do you see, what would you like to be doing? You'd like to be doing a Saturday night TV show. And that's what you told me a long time ago. Is that still what you'd like to do? Yeah. Can I tell you that a long time ago? Do you know what? I would really love that. I... I I love entertaining. I love I love chatting to people. Do you know what? If I really was going to go for a Saturday night show, it would just be unbelievable. It would be amazing. It would be great. But with all these things, you know, it takes time and it may never happen, but you've got to kind of wish them. I would, yeah, I would love to have a show where I chat, have fun, interview different people and immerse myself within stuff within television. I get that. That's me too. There is nothing greater than television. I t say to my kids that the TV comes is my first love and they, they've got used to it now. All these years. You think Sophie's my true love? Absolutely not. Television, 100%. <laughs> I know how you feel, my lovely. Um, thanks for doing this. It's been so lovely to talk to you. You're Are you kidding me? Thank boy. you so much. And listen, go send me send me your address on Instagram or wherever, over email, and um, I'll get you all your family loads of sweets. You're very, you're so sweet. You are a people pleaser. That's what you're not. That's actually, that's actually genuine. That's actually a real, I, know, I want to send people, you guys sweets. Yeah, but you are a people pleaser, because yes, you just am, want everybody true. to smile. And what a yeah. great, there's no greater gift, and that's the gift that you want to give everybody, is to make everybody smile. So carry that on making true. people smile, my sweet. Oh, thanks, honey. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode. Coming up next week is the wonderful, funny Mr. Singer, Mr. Entertainment, Jason Manford. That Gabby Roslin podcast is proudly produced by Cameo Productions. Music by Beth Macari. Could you please tap the follow or subscribe button? And thank you so much for your reviews. I promise that the team and I have read them all and we really are rather overwhelmed and they really mean the world to us. So thank you so much. If you kindly leave a review or a comment, that would be lovely. Thank you. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. 
Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.